0: We have had so many doctors on the show these past two weeks, and I love it. The doctors continue today with Dr. Samantha Boardman, who I'll introduce you to in just a moment. Dr. Boardman's extremely popular book, Everyday Vitality, Turning Stress into Strength, came out in 2021 and remains one of my favorite books, one of my go-tos when it comes to wellness. In it, she speaks, perhaps obviously based on the book's title, about vitality. Do you ever think about vitality? Could you even define it? I guarantee you'll be thinking a lot more about it after listening to this episode. Dr. Boardman writes that vitality is generated by deliberate actions and that vitality is a verb. There are three main sources of vitality. She writes, connecting with others, engaging in challenging experiences, and contributing to something beyond ourselves. We're going to talk about all of it in today's episode, as well as resilience and stress. Because of Dr. Boardman, I learned that nutrition is as important to psychiatry as it is to cardiology, endocrinology, and gastroenterology, which has come up in other episodes of our January wellness series as well. How we eat really does affect so much of our overall well being this book and this conversation offer up science backed research driven actionable strategies for building resilience and countering stress. One of my favorite parts of the episode is when we talk about the oft repeated phrase when things calm down, but realizing that things may never calm down. So we need to implement a wellness practice now. Dr. Boardman helps us walk through exactly how to do that. And vitality, by the way, is the positive feeling of aliveness and energy that lies at the core of well-being and at the heart of a good day. And we'll learn how increased vitality boosts productivity, builds coping skills, and enhances our ability to manage negative emotions. Dr. Boardman is so impressive and is a graduate of Harvard, Cornell Medical School, and the University of Pennsylvania. So, yes, that is, count them, one, two, three. Ivy League schools. And she is a psychiatrist that has been featured everywhere from the Today Show to writing pieces for New York Magazine, Goop, The Wall Street Journal, and hey, I know this publication, the one and only Marie Claire. She is also a regular contributor to HuffPost and Psychology Today and is a practitioner of what she calls positive psychiatry. I can't wait for you to meet her. Take a listen. <laughs> Dr. Boardman, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So I know the book didn't just come out, but you're one of my throwback picks this season. And those are like the most special of the special specials. And so the book came out, I believe in 2021. I want you to tell my listeners about the work that you do, because I'm completely fascinated by the work that you do. But I'd like you to tell my listeners in your own words what you do.
1: Sure. Well, and thank you for having me on. I'm a huge fan. And it's, it's, you know, and I love this topic. So I love talking about the book and sort of how my journey to sort of get to this, this place and writing it and really wanting to share what I had learned along the way. But I went to medical school and I became a psychiatrist. I did a psychiatry residency and I had been about, you know, out in practice for quite a few years. And I met I had a patient who came to see me and I'd been seeing her for a couple of months. And she came in one day and said, Dr. Boardman, all we ever do is kind of talk about what's wrong. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm having a really good day and, you know, and I've got to think about like, what can I complain about? And I realized that she was commenting on something that I hadn't even recognized that I was doing, that I'd become so fixated on problems, issues, symptoms and had gotten in my training very good at misery. But I had kind of forgotten about those bigger questions about what makes life worth living? What do people care deeply about? How do you help them find strength within their stress or even wellness within their illness? And it prompted me to go back to school. And I went to the University of Pennsylvania and I had a program called a master's in applied positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And there we studied resilience optimism, post-traumatic growth, like words I had never heard once in my training at the time. And it really transformed how I think about health and that mental health is so much more than the absence of illness. And Mm. people talk a lot about pathogenesis, which is the study and treatment of disease. But I became really interested in salutogenesis, which is the creation of health and that, you know, how can you do both? It's not, you know, an either or it's a both. And
0: Right. I just, again, I find your work so fascinating. I've been following you for a few years and I read, I can't remember the first time I read everyday vitality. I have read it a couple of times and I got so much out of it. And I would just love for you to explain to listeners what vitality is because we've heard the word maybe, but it's not really a word, at least me that I use in everyday conversation. Although I probably should, it, it's obviously such a strong theme throughout your work. So what is vitality? Sure, and it's
1: again like like you said, it's a word that I hadn't heard very much, and yet it really captured what I was talking about. And it said that the opposite of depression isn't happiness; it's vitality. Yes, I, it's, yes, that's in the and book. I, and that's I think so that's good. so like, and that really captures it for me is that sense of both mental and physical energy that you feel, you know, you're up to the task, you have that, you sort of wake up with that, you know, sense of of you know willingness to take on challenges, that you can face the day with like a, a positive mindset and that it is physical, it is in your body and it's also in your head. And vitality really captured that for me. And I, I felt like it was such an essential component of mental health and the one that we're not really talking about enough. And that's why I called the book Everyday Vitality, because mm-hmm. I was really interested in what are, the, what are the ways we can enhance our vitality in an everyday way?
0: Well, in the book, I learned that vitality is generated by deliberate actions. Vitality is a verb. I also want to talk about the three main sources of vitality, which is connecting with others, engaging in challenging experiences and contributing to something beyond ourselves. So I'm going to do a two-parter on this. First of all, of those three that I just said, is there one that you see folks struggle with the most? I mean, I don't think there's any research specifically
1: behind this, but I do think like at different places in people's lives, they struggle with different aspects of this. Mm -hmm. So you know, and and one of the things that always became apparent to me is it's exactly when we need those three C's the most, that connecting, you know, that challenging and contributing. It's like when mm. we're most stressed out, it's when we turn our backs on it. Mm. You know, it's when we feel super overwhelmed that it's sort of like we become turtles and go into our shells mm. and that all of those sort of outwardly facing experiences, we decide that we can't deal with them and we have to fixate on kind of putting out these fires. And I play, I talk about sort of playing this game of Mm walk-a-mole and we forget when we're so um, focused on what's urgent, we forget what's important. And you know, there's a lot of research around that. It's called the mere urgency effect, how we get like gratification out of like checking off like little, you know, tasks on our to-do list or things that seem urgent might um, eclipse what's ultimately important, like scheduling that mammogram, calling, you know, your grandmother on her birthday or sending that card, doing those things that actually are more meaningful to us and that reflect our values and what we care about most deeply. So to go back to that question, I think there are different points in our lives where our connections maybe suffer a little bit or where we are feeling less challenged, like we, we, don't, we don't feel like we're ready for a challenge or to contribute to something, but it's um, they, they. I think they, they manifest, they kind of bubble up at different points, even over the course of a year. And I think having these check-ins with yourself about like, am I living my life according to what matters most to me? You know, and some people I know like do it on it. Like, what did I do this week that did that? How am I going to, you know, moving forward, what am I going to do next week that makes sure there's a little bit more overlap between what I care most about and what I'm actually doing? And that's when I say like vitality is a verb. Mm-hmm. It's not just in your head it's in your actions. You know, I would say the actions you take, the connections you make and how you participate.
0: It almost makes me want to do a life audit to see if I, yes. if that, cause it's, I I can tell you right now for me at the moment, it's not, I'm like this close to burnout and that's a whole other podcast, but like I, I, this is inspired rereading this again for your, your appearance on the show is inspiring me to take a real, cause a lot has changed in my life has probably for most of us since 2021, when I originally read the book. And so it's really inspiring me to take a look at my life and see, do does what I value line up with My everyday, and and I and I'm pretty sure right now that that answer is no. So it's very it's calling me to the carpet, and I'm sure listeners, a lot of you as well. And you know what you just said in in your last answer made me think of a part of the book that has many examples of the phrase "when things calm down," which like I've said that seven (laughs) hundred times, especially in this season for whatever reason. I don't know what's going on this season, but. It's just a busy one. It happens. And so look, things may never calm down or they may never calm down to the level that we want them to calm down. So this is, this is tying it back to vitality. How can we put it all into practice in our lives? And why does it matter? Because I think a lot of people would say, oh, I've just got too much to do my to do. Like it's Thanksgiving. It's the holidays almost as we record this. Why, why should we prioritize this? Well, no, you
1: make such a good point is that
0: sort of that, oh, when things calm down, or
1: I often say it's yeah. like we live this as soon as life, like as soon as this is done, mm-hmm. well,
0: then mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. If I had a dollar for every time I've said this week, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, my life is <laughs> yes. but that's not like, it will not, no, it's not going to, unless I change something.
1: Well, no, exactly. And and you make that point about kind of burnout and when our lives are not reflecting what we care most about and what is most meaningful to us, even in like an everyday way, that that takes a toll on our our vitality, it takes a toll on our resilience, and it makes us just feel more exasperated. And mm-hmm. you know, when I would talk to patients, there were always these themes coming up of just people feeling they're just keeping their head above water, you know, the words tired, stressed and bored, like would roll off their tongue, just feeling so overwhelmed and like kind of lacking vitality. And when our lives feel like they've gotten away from us, that, you know, our schedules are filled with things that don't even matter that much to us. And you sort of look back on all of these, maybe, you know, things that you've accomplished, but they, in hindsight, don't feel like that they reflected what you did. And then you think about what you missed. So what I always ask patients when I first meet them is make a list of like three or five things that matter most to you. Like, what do you care about most deeply? and then let's talk about what you did you know in your free time or even how you spent last week or then like well, then we really go from just in general your time to how you're spending um your you know just even like how can you bring your values into your work day but also then how what are you doing maybe on saturday afternoons And there's often this striking gulf between what they care most about and how they're spending their time. You know, it's like, oh, I lost two hours, like in an Instagram hole, you know, or whatever. And there's something that is really devitalizing about those experiences where it's just lost time, Mm. where you, um, even this whole, you know, trend in bed rotting, you know, where people feel that they aren't you know necessarily i mean it's of course it's wonderful to climb in bed sometimes and take care of yourself and you know recharge in some way but are you doing it to be avoidant are you doing it in a way are you feeling revitalized after that experience and if the answer is no sometimes it helps to do things which i call like that have desirable difficulty things that are actually like challenging but afterwards you're going to feel so much better about and it's almost like groundhog day for a lot of us like it's yeah. almost this like Oh gosh, I can't face going to the gym or, Oh, like I couldn't possibly face doing that thing. Or I'm going to cancel those plans I have with my friend, but you're always glad afterwards, you know, and to even clock that like, Oh, I'm so glad I, you know, followed through and met my friend for coffee or we went for that walk in the park or, you know,
0: and so I I just had Liz Moody on the show and I said to her and I'll say it again. I never. I never. Want to go to a workout? Like, not once in my life have I ever wanted to go, but I have never regretted it one single time. Exactly. Really yeah and, and I was just—I'm ha- actually staying with a dear friend right now. um I'm visiting her in Kansas City, and yesterday she's a, a mom. She works out of the home. I. They, she has a job. Like a lot of moms say, "Well, I don't have a job. You have the most important job in the world, stay-at-home moms. You, there's nothing more important in this world, and no harder work. She has two kids. She stays at home. She works out of the home. She said yesterday, I just didn't feel like going to my mom's group, but I did it. I forced myself to go and I'm so glad that I did. So things like that, like just making yourself do it and you won't regret it after.
1: But it, and it is really hard to remind yourself. So actually, I, especially in terms of just like going for a walk or working out, I used to have patients like, literally circle like on a scale of one to 10 their mood before and after just so that would remind them and like to keep it on their refrigerator door about that because over the course of a week like before and after before and after and you know of course you they do feel better they feel immediately better in the long term they feel better but you don't want to do it and so You know, There's a lot of emphasis today, I think on be yourself, be yourself all the time. But I I talk about this in the book too. And there's been more research on it since is when you sometimes go against your grain, it's very important. And as long as that reflects your values, and I say, like, be on you, what is the on you thing to do in this moment, and it might be, you know, going to that mom's groove doing that thing that you really don't really feel like doing, but afterwards you're going to feel really good about. Well, that's
0: me. I mean, it goes very against me to go work out, but it's always a good idea. Always. You know, there's never been a time when I've said, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Not, not once. Not once. And Katie yeah. Milkman has research on this, and I she's love really her. Interesting. Oh my god, oh. I love her so. Much. Has she been on the show also? No, I would die to have her on the show. with oh, how I'm did gonna connect how to change? Amazing. I was speaking of Liz Moody. I, we were just talking about Katie and her Dr. Milkman, and how and how, how to change, which is her book, which I love. So yeah, I would love to have her on the show. And did you talk
1: about temptation bundling? Yeah, yeah, that yeah we did. Actually, love
0: that. Yep. okay, yep. that. did. Okay, cool. That that Liz Moody episode was a great one. She's awesome. I can't wait to listen. Yeah. So your book covers resilience and stress at length, and we're going to talk about both of those, but I want to start with resilience. So you introduced, and and I don't know if this is original or not, but it was new to me when I read it in everyday vitality. What is big R resilience versus little R resilience? So yes, that was something that I came up with because I had read
1: a lot about resilience and there is more and more research about it. Um, And big R resilience was sort of your ability to bounce back after a major life event Mm -hmm. Um, and how, in fact, there's a lot of research out there. And it's George Bonanno's work from Columbia University shows how most people are pretty resilient in the face of these major life events. For instance, after 9-11, that there was, it was anticipated in New York City that there would be a tremendous need for mental health services. And even money was earmarked for that. It turned out people didn't need it. About two months after the attacks, that actually people were sort of back to their baseline. Some people even reported feeling better. And that most people in general do get back to themselves after major life events. But what, what was different to me, though, was... What what about everyday hassles, mm-hmm. everyday struggles, irritations, the drudgery of just, you know, the spilled coffee, the missed Subway, the, you know, um, maybe your kid's earache, because there's any of those things that were maybe going to overwhelm you. What about um, how people reacted and how they were able to handle those sort of maybe smaller stressors? How did that affect them? you know, their mental health down the line and even in the moment. And that it turns out that it's a lot harder. Little R resilience is a lot harder than big R resilience. Mm. And so that these little hassles actually take a tremendous toll on our mental health and even a greater toll than the sort of major life events that I think of that big R resilience that people have. So what can you do to build little R resilience? And I think that went hand in hand with vitality for me, where you are being much more deliberate and conscious of, you know, the three C's, how are you connecting? How are you challenging? And how are you contributing to something? And what are these sort of strategies that you can adapt? adopt and adapt and use. And sometimes maybe what worked for you two or three years ago, maybe, you know, rethink that. And maybe you sure. need something different um, and not to get so stuck in this idea of like, I am who I am.
0: As people, oh, I'm yeah. to that. There's a lot of things that where I need to throw out. I am who I like, I don't need to be that anymore. Like I need to evolve and change and not stay stuck where I am
1: and we all are that's the thing like we're always it's easy to look back on you know how different we are maybe from when you were in college or even you know 5 years ago and you can see where you've changed and we all are changing and but it's very hard to look forward to imagine how much we will change but we will and my question is always how can we bend in the, the direction of our values how can we bend in the direction of goodness in some way and that really entails being a little bit more deliberate about it
0: absolutely and You know, I want to talk about stress and you're just catching me at, we are recording this one week exactly before Thanksgiving. I'm just in a, I'm just in one of those times where it's just very stressful. We logically know we've been told that stress is a silent killer. Stress is damaging to our body, even the subtitle of everyday vitality is turning stress into strength. So, you know, I want to talk about some concrete ways that stress negatively impacts us. And, you know, also like I, there's stress, but like, if, if stress is the hub of the wheel, then you've got spokes off of it, like comparison and ruminating, which I do both of those things all the time. And they add, I think they add to my stress. So kind of, I've put it into words, if you can, how stress really impacts us from a mental perspective.
1: Yeah, we know the body's perspective and yes. how it really affects us in sort of like at the cellular level. Mm-hmm. But from a mental health perspective, it is, you know, let's also dissect good stress and bad stress, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we throw around that word stress and Sometimes forgetting that there is such a thing as desirable difficulty, things that are meaningful, that might be stressful in some way, but maybe even in a healthy way when we're stretching ourselves to be better people. 100%. So the, the answer isn't to have like a magic wand and get rid of all the stress in our lives because like, where would that lead us? So what I always talk about is kind of trying to figure out specifically be as narrow, like in, in, you know, get telescope as you can. Like what, what, what are you feeling? you know, get as as granular as possible with your language. When you just say, I'm stressed out, like you just have this like amorphous cloud hovering over you, be as precise as you can with your language and your feelings. Because here's the thing about that, when we can, you know, even, you know, I am frustrated, I am disappointed, even break out a thesaurus if you need to. But there's evidence that when we can be as specific and precise and descriptive in identifying the emotions that we're experiencing, they are much more um, manageable. And in addition to that, we're less likely to feel overwhelmed and completely paralyzed by them. And as a result, much more likely to take action because we have clarity about what they're doing to us and how they're making us feel. And I think there's this idea that this sort of binary bias that comes naturally to all of us when someone says, how are you? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm good or I'm bad. It's that either or, or I'm like stressed or not stressed. And There's a lot of evidence that looking at this idea of emo diversity, being able, even within, you know, the difficult situation, are you able to find some laughter? Are you able to, you know, is there anything good that happened today? Are you able to see some uplift? Were you able to actually find one for yourself? Like, were you able to do something that felt meaningful to you? Even some little pocket of it, maybe it was just some micro moment of an uplift that, you know, that you facilitated in your day. And I think so much when we're stressed out like that, too, especially around the holidays that, you know, there's so many have to's like I have to do this. I have to go see my family. I have to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, do this errand or I have to cook a turkey, whatever those things are. And I think we sometimes conflate the have to's with the get to's, you know, and I think that idea around drudgery that is sort of begrudgingly said like I have to go meet my friend for coffee I have to get you know organize a birthday party for my eight-year-old whatever those have-tos are and to really kind of try to tease out what are the have-tos versus what are the get-tos you know I I don't have to you know go on a Podcast, you know, today I get to, and it. I'm really glad you see change. it that way, Doctor. <laughs> oh, I know, but
0: you know, it's like when you sort of can look at your calendar, you're like, oh, you know, there's all this stuff going on, and yeah, and that's a powerful I mean. reframe. I've it's tried to do that too, and it really I mean. helps. So I think
1: that's kind of helpful, like way to like use your language really deliberately and carefully, and how we sort of talk about things, and even how we talk to others about things, and you know, we sometimes get so. Stuck and entrenched in that idea of like this is just the way that it is, mm-hmm. and you know, and, or this is just the situation, and I am who I am, kind of thing. And those those perils of I always call it like the perils of certitude mm. of being so sure one thing is a certain way and forgetting to ask questions, forgetting to bring curiosity to a situation or even a conflict with somebody. You know, I always say argue as though you're right, but listen as though you're wrong. Mm. Be open to having your mind changed, perhaps, and. It's not that you're a wishy-washy, you know, person, but maybe, you know, maybe you might think a little bit differently. And even with the stress of the holidays, you know, sometimes there's difficult people one has to interact with, but I always think everyone knows something you don't, yeah. you know. And and so sort of to try to, you know, arrive at every situation with that mindset rather than the I have to and the drudgery one.
0: In that simple shift, just in vernacular makes a huge difference. And I can, I can attest to that. Cause I've done that in my, like, I, I get to do this. I get to do this chore Cause I can, you know, thank, like, I think like I get to clean the house cause I have a house, you know what I mean? Just yes. things like things like that and, and implementing gratitude into it all. There is a reason why gratitude journals and the gratitude practice is so ubiquitous is because it helps, it helps, it works. And there, there is a method to this. And I want to touch on this too. We have I learned this in the book. We have three basic psychological needs and that is autonomy, competence, and relatedness. But I want to zoom in on relatedness for a moment, Relationships. So you write that knowing you are loved literally lessens pain, lightens mm-hmm. the load and propels you forward up those steep hills. Those are your words. You also write that social relationships cannot be an afterthought. And I'm just thinking a lot, like I'm in an age where a lot of my friends are moms and their friendships go by the wayside. And I understand that because they have children and they want to prioritize their marriage, their children, but we also cannot forget about those social relationships that, that really add so much to our lives. And so I think many of us, if not all of us, I, I don't know anybody that didn't experience loneliness during COVID of some sort, even if they had a house full of people. So how important psychologically, because that's your wheelhouse is, is connectedness. We know that we know on a surface level that it's important, but how deeply important is it to our lives? Honestly, it is the single
1: most important contributor to our mental health. Yeah. It honestly, like hands down, there's nothing that matters more than our relationships and our connections to other human beings. And especially, you know, I think there's so much pressure out there today for, you know, in parenting circles and for moms to be perfect moms and to spend all of their time, you know, they spend more time sort of on their children sometimes even than with them. And this tremendous pressure that they feel and i think part of that then the result of that can be this you know loosening of their friendship ties and mm-hmm. their connections to to other people in their lives and it's it becomes sometimes very very lonely mm-hmm. and to remind oneself to make that effort to make that time because honestly it is probably the most important predictor of your mental health than anything else that we could talk about today relationships matter people matter mm-hmm. and you know i think so much of our mental health conversations they focus on the individual i think psychology has become so interiorized the idea that your mental health it's sort of all about what's going on in your head and truly it's really about what's you know we are interconnectedness and in your relationships with others and of course it's important for you to feel that you are valued For your mental health, but it's also important to think that you are adding value, that you that is the essence of mattering, ultimately, and that that's what your connections are really doing for you. And in the same way that I think vitality is a verb, I think our relationships are a verb, you don't have a good friendship, you work at having a good friendship.
0: That's right. You have to, it's, I mean, it's a, it's like a mini marriage, you know? I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be the number one relationship in your life, but you can't have, you can't maintain a friendship and not work at it. it. You just can't. And that's why I'm so glad my friend went to her mom's group yesterday because, you know, she's, I mean, I'm here at her house right now, but normally she's surrounded by her husband and her young children under five. And so we need that social connectedness to, to, it may, I think, I mean, I'm not a mom yet, but I think that that makes Better moms, you know, when you have when you have a group of support and a group of women who understand you, and just that social connect is so important. And we off, so often unprior deprioritize that. That's unprioritize. That's not even a word. Deprioritize that because we just see other things as more important. But this, you just said it. It's it's the most important thing. These relationships. Well, it's you
1: know instead of like what's urgent versus what's important. Like that mm-hmm. is important. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So as we get, begin to close our time together, I could talk to you all day. I want to tell you a funny story. So I wanted another book from you so bad, Dr. Boardman, that I got on Amazon and I, so your UK version and your US version are, are two different titles. So I ordered, <laughs> so I ordered both of them and I go, Hmm, this is a lot of the same stuff. Overlap. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but that yeah, a little bit different. But so, so anyway, if, listeners, if you do that, I, the US version is called everyday vitality and the UK. For, if you, if you want more of Dr. Borman, like I did, the UK version is called, I think it's called ready for anything. And yes. so I that was so funny. I was like, you know, this book is a lot like everyday vitality, but okay. Like it's just reinforcing the concepts, but how much <laughs> I'm a fan of yours is that I will just take whatever I can get, even if it's the same book with a different title on it. But, um, in the book, you introduced me to two new concepts and I'm probably going to butcher this word, the Z Garnick effect. Yes. Yes. Great. Perfect. Okay, cool. And whoop goals. So can can you explain those to my listeners?
1: Sure. The iconic effect is very interesting. It's about our, our tendency to remember um, tasks that are sort of partially done, things that are maybe unfinished. And it sort of grew out of what happened an observation in a cafe in Vienna that the, the wait staff could never remember orders that had been fully completed, where the bill had been paid. But they were wonderful at remembering sort of ones that were in the middle of doing it, like somebody whose coffee they were getting or they were about to deliver a a roll to. And that we have trouble once something's done, it's done. And we sort of erase it and then we can't, we sort of moving on to the next thing. But when things are left sort of partially undone, that's what we remember. And I think this goes hand in hand with our negativity bias in a way that we're sort of, you'll, you'll won't remember one nice thing that maybe your manager said to you, but you'll remember that, you know, little morsel of criticism that will hang with you for a long long. time.
0: I will, Uh, 99 people can say kind things to me in the one negative comment. I'm fixated on it forever.
1: Exactly. So
0: that's sort of, it goes hand in hand with that. And then whoop goals is really interesting. And I think maybe
1: it can help some of your listeners think about kind of goal setting in a way, in a very concrete term. And it's from Gabrielle Oettingen, who's at NYU, and she's a psychologist. And she realized that that sort of, you know, just wishful thinking doesn't work for people. Like just having happy thoughts that you're going to reach your goal is not effective. And she's German. And she, when she moved to America, she said there was all this sort of happy talk and, you know, positivity, but she said it really wasn't helping people. And she did a lot of research on this on a number of different domains from saving money to going to the gym and that they weren't actually reaching their goals. So she wanted to break it down and figure out why. And so she created this, um, Sort of model using W-O-O-P. Mm-hmm. And the W is like the wish that you have, like, oh, I wish I spent less time on my phone or whatever. And then the outcome is the first O, like, what would that make you feel like the outcome? Maybe I'd feel more connected. Like I wouldn't feel as distracted all the time. Maybe I'd feel, you know, that I would, you know, dinner would be more interesting if I wasn't looking at my phone. And then the next O of the W-O-O-P is Okay, what's the obstacle? Like, what is getting in the way of you doing Mm -hmm. that thing? And then the P is your plan. Like, so what are you going to do about it? You know, okay, when I'm sitting with a friend, I'm going to put my, like, turn my phone off or put it, like, do not disturb and put it in my handbag. So you have a very concrete plan as to how you're going to achieve that wish that you have. And she felt that that was really lacking, that people often have wishes like, oh, I wish I would get an A on that test or I wish, You know, I would go to the gym three days a week or whatever, but there wasn't that kind of concrete identified obstacle or plan that went alongside it. And that was preventing people from actually, you know, living their like getting to their goals. And Mm because, you know, it was dreaming isn't doing. And so how do you operationalize what you care about, what's meaningful to you, what you wish for and what your goals are and using those goals, it's the W-O-O-P is a really useful model for people.
0: That's really good. And these listeners, these are just a couple of the takeaways that I had from this book. I could talk to you again all day, but I want to ask you this final question. When when readers close the book, when they close Everyday Vitality, what do you hope that they will say at the end of it? wow, um, nobody's ever asked me that. And I love this question. I, I think ha- I ask this question almost every episode because I think, you know, it gets to the core of what you're trying to say. What what message do you want us to take? You know, I think I, my my goal would be that they would see the world maybe a little bit
1: differently, mm-hmm. that they would maybe be a little bit more forgiving towards themselves, a little bit more generous to themselves. And I would hope also that, it, it you know, increase their outer orientation, that they sort of can shift the focus, you know, to that what's what's next moving forward? What am I going to do? How can I bend in that direction of goodness that I'm that I care about? And along those lines of even gratitude, for instance, like thinking about so much of gratitude becomes like the messaging. It becomes all about us. We know for research when gratitude is about others, when we're actually thinking about what am I so grateful for that, you know, for that other that person who maybe thought about this gift and how thoughtful they are and we make gratitude other oriented, it actually is more helpful to us and when mm-hmm. than when we make it self-oriented. So I hope that that other orientation is part of what they like a big part of what they take away. And that they have more vitality. Like, that's
0: my dream. Yeah. I, I'm glad that I reread this again because it reminded me of how I need, I have some work to do. And so it's very much inspiring me to work on that vitality and align my life between what I want out of it and what it actually is. And the book again meant so much to me. Love having you on as a throwback pick guest. Cannot wait for you listeners to pick it up. The book is called Everyday Vitality, Turning Stress into Strength. Obviously it's out right now. It's been out for a couple of years. Thank you so much for being here today. Rachel, thank you so much. And thank you for your vitality and being so generous with it. No, thank you. I absolutely loved this conversation. Dr. Boardman's book, Everyday Vitality, Turning Stress into Strength is the only book in the January wellness series, by the way, that is not new. That is how much I value it. We'll continue tomorrow with our final iteration of the January wellness series with our eighth episode about our nervous system and how to reverse dysregulation if it happens. Super fascinating stuff. See you tomorrow.